This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features John Granada. It was recorded at Jersey Spirits Distilling Company in Fairfield, New Jersey. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Jersey Spirits and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Jersey Spirits Distilling Company, and I'm here with John Granada. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Welcome to our distillery. Thank you. I, I have to tell you, Dawn and I have been so excited. I mean, we visited here a couple of times. This is one of our favorite distilleries in New Jersey, if not all the distilleries we've visited across the country so far. And we haven't had enough of them, but we, we really come to enjoy every time we're here. So thank you for your hospitality, and thank you for allowing us to come by and do the podcast today. Oh, you're very welcome, and we appreciate it. We, uh, we love our fans. Thanks. Hey, John, tell me, how did all this get started? How did Jersey Spirits come to be? Uh, that's, a, that's a good, it is a story. There's a story in everything, right? Um, so Susan and I, uh, who's my co-founding partner, and also now my wife, uh, we met in 2011. And um, I've been in the television and film business. It changed dramatically, so I was starting to look for something different to do. I kind of been a serial entrepreneur my whole life. Uh, owned a restaurant, owned several uh, graphics companies, media companies, uh, production companies, um, and I was looking for something different to do because I couldn't see myself continuing uh, with the demands, the physical demands of television. Even though the physical demands of distilling, I'm are saying, I mean, I don't greater. physical demands. I mean, you're lifting bags, yeah, you're moving. It's it's the traveling and lifting okay. that I hated, okay, uh, or I grew to hate um, because you're always setting up somewhere new. Yeah, at least here it's demanding, but every day I come to the same spot. I'm not traveling around the country. I'm not traveling just from one location to the other. That gets to be a little trying, and it just the whole entire industry changed. Um, and even a lot of my friends in it are wishing they could have gotten out or they're, they're trying to get out now. Um, but we were looking for something to do. And I think 2013, I was really ready. So we started looking for something. And on a trip out to uh, Park City, Utah, we stumbled across High West Distillery. Uh, if you are not the first person to reference High West Distillery, right. that that was an inspiration or in some way a catalyst for an idea to open up their own distillery. It was, so they're doing something right. Well, it was literally the aha moment. And I don't know, you've never been there, right? Not, no, have okay. not been there. It's uh, it's off Main Street, but only a block. It's no, I've, a, been, I've been in that area, but okay. I've not been, never I've not been, been in the distillery. distillery, yeah. So, but what I found out later was a little different than what gave us the aha moment. Because they had another distillery in Salt Lake City. So this was like the uh, the um, restaurant 
and distillery, uh, and it was more the test distillery. But what struck us about it was it was small and manageable. You know, they had maybe a, a 500 liter still, like we currently have uh, three 500 liter stills. Um, and when we looked at it, I was like, wow, we could do this. This is, this is manageable. This would be really cool to get into. Had you ever distilled, though? Uh, well, that would be illegal, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, perhaps, yeah. but people do it. <laughs> you are... Let's just say I didn't. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, I've always had, actually, uh, when I was, a, I'm actually an Eagle Scout, when I was a Boy Scout going to camp and all. So you got your badge for distilling. Uh, Distillation? Yeah, yes. Exactly. I love that. If, if that was in Scouts when I was there, yeah. I would have stayed forever. <laughs> um, no, it actually was in one of the science ones, but you couldn't really distill. Okay. Uh, MASH was really big back then. And of course, they distilled it. Yeah, in the tent. they had their own little uh, little still going on, and everything so I else. wanted to do that in, in our tent. I was like all set to do it. My father's a chemist. He goes, "No, you can't do that. That's like illegal." So I said, "Oh damn!" But uh, I did learn a lot of the principles. I mean, even though I went uh, to school for television and film, two of my major, uh, two of my uh, general election courses in college were chemistry and physics because I just like it. So um, you know, Sue and I. Decided to uh, start looking into it and researching it. We found the laws were changing here. And it put us on about an eight-month course to kind of travel around, visit other distilleries. We actually found some that would let us work there. Um, not teach us everything or anything, really. At the time, and I think we're talking early 2014, 2000, yep. right? 14. And, you know, even though we're 2020 and that sounds like it, not a lot of time, but in terms of the birth of the craft spirits industry, this is still 2013, 2014, it's still fairly in its infancy. There's under 400 distilleries at this point yeah. that could be considered craft, and some of them are much bigger that were considered craft than any of the craft are now. They were like 700,000 gallons a year. So they were really commercial, full-fledged commercial producers. Yeah, so to have somebody you know like that at the time, people were like, you know, come on, come on in. We'll show you what we're doing. Yeah, yeah they weren't like that, though. No, really? <laughs> no, they were very skittish at first. I had okay. to leverage some relationships to get people to let us come in. Okay. And then when they did, they were very, like, they didn't want to teach anything. They let you work and do stuff for them, all the heavy work. Yeah, here, lift that back. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's exactly what we wanted, because I wasn't looking for someone to teach me. It's like, look, I could teach myself almost anything. There's YouTube. Yeah. Well... No, I wouldn't do that <laughs> That's someone else teaching you something they learned. Okay. Uh, but no, you, I mean, you know, textbooks and stuff. Um, and that's ultimately what we did. Um, but I needed to know what that environment was like. Because we weren't going to start putting in all this work and money and be like, oh my God, I hate this. You know, it is a very challenging environment. Yeah, this is, a, this is not, hey, I'm just going to buy a franchise and follow the textbook and what they do. This is, it's, it's your time, it's your finance, yeah. it's, it's your literally dedication to now what you're going to do. Oh, absolutely. And it's, and it's a harsh environment. I mean, you know, it's dangerous. I tell everybody, well, we're not rocket scientists, but we're making rocket fuel. Uh, anything can happen back there. Everything's under pressure, uh, high heat, you know, alcohol, above 50% alcohol is highly flammable. Um, so there's circumstances where it's safe. There's certain circumstances where it's unsafe and understanding all that critical nature of it. You know, we wanted to make sure the environment was something we wanted to live in. It gets hot back there. Absolutely. You sweat back there. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, carrying everything. 
So we wanted to experience other places and uh, understand what it was. And I literally, we worked in, and, and, and uh, spent time in things as small as a horse stall, a licensed uh, distillery out of a horse stall. Okay. And as big as, uh, you know, they were probably running about 300,000 gallons a year, which is pretty big. I mean, they had enormous stills. Uh, you know, it's, I don't even, I don't, I don't know if I dreamed to be that big, but we still, I, I only spent the day there because I was like supposed to spend the whole week there. And I'm like, yeah, this is all it is. I'm, I'm done. Um, but you know, that also let us understand how different operations operate. I was going to ask you, and you know, in, in my head, as you're talking, you have a certain setup for what you're doing, but you distill a wide variety a vast array of different distilled spirits. I mean, I, I'm trying to, in my head, and, and I was in my head just trying to count, how many, how many spirits or how many products have you distilled over the years? Uh, so we currently have selling out, uh, I think, 28 or 30 SKUs. Uh, we have oh, almost 60 formulas in with the TTB, and only about a half a dozen of them are not in full production at some point. Some of our stuff is seasonal. Um, so, you know, and we have at least uh, 10 different things that are only ever available here. Um, so we have a, a, a large assortment. So, I mean, and, and my thought process is with all the things, 60 SKUs, 60 different products, how do you, how are you able to define the still and the setup you would need to create all that? That's a great question. Um, so, when we first started looking for equipment, um, and back then it was a different landscape than it is now. No, I mean, accessibility yeah. to different things wasn't there. Yeah. Or it was limited to yeah. what people would produce for you. And it was it was limited to what they were making for other operations that followed, you know, pretty much the standard business plans. So we looked at the at the road as well. There's a rut in this road, and everybody is inside that rut. So what we wanted to do was actually access the entire road, including, you know, the area where there's all the pebbles and marbles and stuff. Okay. Because that's where all the cool things might lie. You know, everybody in the rut, you know, they cleared it out. It's just all done the same. And that's one of the things we felt uh, starting to embrace this industry. And we did look at other industries, but it's like, um, you know, you had 350 brands of bourbon that were known throughout the world. Of course, they were all made in the United States, but they were only made by seven distilleries. And they all, yeah, they had little characteristics that were different, but they did not taste entirely different. Um, and most of them were being run on a, uh, basically a huge uh, continuous column. Um, so I started deconstructing uh, understanding, you know, first the principles of alcohol distillation. And then, well, okay, that's pretty easy. It's basically ninth grade chemistry. That's not the hard part. See, I only went to eighth grade chemistry. <laughs> I should have hit ninth grade chemistry. Yeah, they covered a little I'm, bit. I'm going back. <laughs> you should. Uh, when they break out the stills, it's a great lab. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, once I, I realized, you know, okay, well, that's one thing. Uh, then I started to really delve into, well, how do you develop flavor? And that's why I didn't look on YouTube. Okay. So I turned to textbooks. And I actually checked out what Cornell used as a curriculum for their food science program. At the time, Michigan uh, had a very good program. Yeah, those too. two, 
people in the early on, those two places people reference. Very early on, yeah. they were the only ones. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I actually was trying to push my daughter to go to Cornell for food sciences, but she decided to go to Montclair State <laughs> for uh, marketing. But um, well, that's why you have such great marketing now. Th- yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so uh, you know, I started to understand how to develop flavor, and then what people were telling me. You know, because even though we went to distilleries and they were very quick to say, well, I'm not going to teach you how to do anything. It's like, that's cool. I'm not here to learn how you do stuff. I'm just here to kind of experience the environment. Well, believe it or not, after an hour or two, they want to spill their guts out. Well, so. I, I think it's like anything else. People want to know what your agenda is. Right. Or what, you, you know, are, are you saying that you're here in North Jersey, Freehold. Uh, Fairfield. Fairfield. I yeah. used the wrong F. but that's okay. Fairfield. But they don't know that you might be pretending to open up a, something next door or down right. the road. No. So I think people are like, – most of the experience that I have from when I talk to distillers and people in the industry is everybody seems to be welcoming. Um, yes. But I guess you get to a point where some of that is proprietary. And oh, yeah. you don't want to start giving away – like, you know, look, I, I know the master distillers down in Kentucky probably know that, hey, where they're sourcing their corn – where they're getting their barrels. I mean, everything is going to be a nuance of flavor that's indicative, indigenous to them. But I think people are still saying, hey, we're, we're busting it here to get open. We don't want you undercutting us right. for uh, from us to get to where we want to go either. Yeah. So but then once they get a sense of what your plan is, it's like, hey, let, let me show you everything. Yeah. You know, take you behind the bar and show you everything. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when, when I was working in a distillery in Kentucky... That's kind of how it was. It was like when they realized, I mean, you know, I guess I've been told I'm as Jersey as you can get. I don't think so. But you're, pretty, they, you're pretty Jersey, <laughs> I, I would say. I, I mean, you're, believe, you're it, there. believe it or not, I've lived in the same county my whole life, and I've tried to get out. Probably lived in every town. That, in that may be the new reality series, <laughs> Distillers of New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's a collection. Put them all in a distillery and, and yeah. you know, watch what happens. Um. But uh, once he found out that I was totally Jersey and I was not encroaching upon anything in Kentucky, they were pretty open. But, um, you know, in that, um, I was looking for flavor development. And that's what drove us to how we started with a distillery. You know, other friends that I knew were opening up distilleries, they're hiring an architectural company to come in and and, you know, totally design everything. They're hiring consultants to tell them how their product should be. And here's stupid me. I'm just going in and going, I'm just going to buy the equipment. You know, what? they do it in other down south uh, states. I'm not going to single any out. And it's like, what's the worst we could do? Blow the place up? So, uh, you know, we decided we'll, we'll buy just a standard kettle. Um, and we'll start buying parts off the shelf, kind of, that... You know, some of the parts that we bought were for the milk industry or the brewing industry or the wine industry. Yeah, I mean, they weren't specifically – there weren't products on the market to say, hey, this is the malt I want. This is the barley I want. You really had to be more uh, selective based on what other people were producing for other you – know, the beer industry and yeah. like, the dairy industry. Yeah, everything had to be – at that time had to be figured out from the ground up. And that's how we started. I mean, you've been here a number of years ago. Right now we're in stainless steel fermenters, but we started out with little conical uh, – polystyrene uh, fermenters uh, just because we decided well we're going to try to ferment off the grain on the grain we actually had a little brewing thing in here to try to see how it would work fermenting off the grain and we started to understand what all the nuances would bring to the table 
And as we started out, we started out with one product. First things we made were whiskey. Then when we moved to vodka right away, because that's the first one we could sell. Although we did put our white whiskey out there uh, right after our vodka was introduced, and it still sells to this day. We still it's try a good, to take it's it a good base for cocktails. It is an interesting base, and, and, it, and I think what it does is it gives people an idea of, of, of what that whiskey starts at yeah. before it hits the barrel, and it gives people who have never had a white whiskey a chance to understand the maturation process. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and it's great. Side by side, yeah. the same mash bill. One that gets aged, one that doesn't. It's tremendous to taste them next to each other. But, you know, then you have people who are there just tried and true. The, you know, the barrel aging is what captivates them, and they don't want anything to do with the white one. But that's okay. And that's why we have such a line, because you know there's for everybody. different. Yeah. How, how did you determine, I mean, what was the process for you to figure out what grains you wanted to use? I know you said your vodka is a corn-based vodka. Yeah. Um, what was what was in your mind as far as how you wanted to kind of set sail on the, on the grains available? So uh, that's, an, that's an interesting one because, uh, you know, what I learned going into this business, by the way, there's a lot of folklore. And then there's facts. Okay. And they are very removed from each other. So the first thing I was thinking was, oh, so everybody says that vodka is made out of potatoes, so we'll try potatoes. I found out very quickly that very few vodkas at the time were made from potatoes. Most were made from white winter wheat, and that's fine. So we decided, all right, we're going to try a batch out of potatoes. We're going to try a batch out of white winter wheat. Uh, I decided to try a batch out of rye because um, I heard that the, uh, the fermentation time as well as the, um, the distillation uh, – the, the, the number of distillations necessary is actually lower. And then, of course, we wanted to do corn because corn's that unique uh, kind of American-born grain that, you know, wasn't in anything before the, the United States or before the colonies were founded. Um, and we wanted to keep it, you know, we're located in Fairfield, New Jersey. We also wanted to have, you know, something in one of those products that was tried and true, uh, you know, American lineage. Um, so we, I actually did a test batch of all of them. Oh, I did one more. Um, I'd been to a distillery and I thought it was interesting. They used sugar beets. Okay. I didn't want to use molasses, um, cause it was very expensive. Um, and then I had to use blackstrap molasses. And as I was playing around with blackstrap, I never liked the, uh, the over the burn, the burn flavor, yeah, the, yeah, the, the aftertaste that really on that deep butterscotch kind of Navy rum flavor. Yeah. And even our rums are made with bakers and table molasses, no blackstrap at all. So we decided to try sugar beets, um, and I made uh, five small batches, fermentations, took notes of, of which ones I liked during fermentation, because uh, I did not like potatoes, because every time I, we, we did something with it, it got on me, and it was like getting something that was 200 degrees on you, and it would just stick on you for 200, as 200 degrees. Corn does that a little bit, but it doesn't have as much uh, of that as uh, the potatoes, and it was just all over the walls every time we mixed it. Uh, and probably rye was my favorite to work with. Um, and all had very unique hints of flavor in the background. Tomato, uh, I'm sorry, potatoes and corn were kind of similar, uh, but potatoes had a little more of the uh, uh, kind of marshmallow flavor, whereas the corn had a little caramely flavor. It's, I, I love this conversation, and I love how you were explaining the way you decided and the, the whole process you went through, because I'll talk to people who will say, well, vodka is not supposed to taste like anything. So what's the deal? And, and I think, you know, when Dawn and I go, we, we can sense, we can taste the difference in vodkas. Oh, yeah. And 
I think that's the difference, again, where you go down to a level of craft where you are versus a company just putting out vodka, which is just nothing but a base for a cocktail, which is ethanol and who knows what else and what they're basing on. But what you're saying is this. You want to have a flavor profile to your vodka, too. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the, it, it's a great conversation yeah. because if somebody says, well, vodka just tastes like nothing. Well, vodka doesn't taste like nothing. It really has some character if it's done correctly. Yeah, I mean, most of the large scales are still getting flavor, but they are heavily filtering. And in fact, that guided our filtration, uh, especially for vodka, in that, you know, we started out bigger and it was like, oh, we're losing too much. And we started to uh, deconstruct what, how much carbon we were actually using, which will get those alcohols that have the oils in them. Um, because remember, when, when, you're, when you're making grain neutral spirits, which is how you make vodka, you're taking it off the still at a 190 proof or above. There's not much above. The highest we can get is uh, 100 and, uh, what is it, 96.2%? Uh, yeah, 96.2, I think. Okay. 96.6. 96.6, sorry. 95.6. So about a... Sounds like my temperature this morning. Yeah. <laughs> 191.4. Uh, um, so... You know, as long as we get it over 190, we're legally at grain neutral. Um, the closer you get to 194, the less flavor there will be, but there still will be flavor, 191.4. Um, the way you get that flavor out, because that other percentage is some alcohols that are still connected to some of the, uh, the fusel oils, um, or the conigers, um, that, are, that you're still not removing through the distillation process. So the other way to remove them is through... Uh, that could still make potable spirits is through charcoal filtration. And that's what they'll do. They're heavily charcoal filtrated uh, to remove that. And that's why they taste, you know, a lot of them say they taste more medicinal. Well, when I did my five spectrums there, and I've even done other ones since. Uh, we've done fruits at 190 plus. We've done um, a, an heirloom malt, that uh, uh, barley malt that we get from South Jersey that I really want to go to vodka production on. Because uh, I just love it. It's it comes off the still at one ninety. So interesting. It's more got uh, just a very faint uh, cocoa kind of flavor to it. Um, but the sugar beets had a very earthy flavor. We had kind of an earthy flavor and sweet, but believe it or not, it was just kind of blah. Okay. Um, and rye rye was actually still my favorite because it just had the just a subtle hint of white pepper. But I felt that. Uh, going to market with a vodka like that, um, it's limiting because pe- not everybody likes a little bit of spice like that. But you do, and, and this comes to mind because, you know, it, when the when the bar's open, you have a cocktail program, which is fabulous, and you do a, you do a Bloody Mary flight. Oh, yeah. So something like that, where you have a peppery-style vodka, would be perfect because you do a horseradish, horseradish vodka... Um, but you have all these different approaches to it. Yeah. To me, again, satisfying the Bloody Mary crowd, that would be a great one. I'd love to yeah. have a bottle of that for Bloody Marys. Well, we, well, yeah, but it's not enough of the hot pepper. Not enough of the pepper. Uh, so, I mean, our hot pepper vodka is, it's four different peppers. We do a pressure infusion of them. Um, you really get a nice balance of not only the heat, but the flavor of the pepper. Um, in fact, so much so that we design other drinks around it. Um, we just designed a drink that we're launching tonight. Um, it's a, uh, I forget what we're calling it, but it's basically a, a lemonade base with some strawberry 
um, like uh, some strawberry puree, and then an infused, an infused or vodka, hot pepper infused vodka. Oh, that's awesome! So it's it's refreshing like a, on a summer day. Yeah, that'll get you going. Um, I mean, it lasts. Uh, we, we refined it last night, and I had like three of them. So <laughs> probably shouldn't have, but they were. They definitely taste the heat. But it's nice. It's got the tartness, the sweetness. It's a nice balance, and that's what we look to do. We look to develop drinks that kind of, uh, you know, profile our stuff. Even uh, we can't make a Manhattan, and we love Manhattans. I mean, the Patriots Trail Bourbon was made not so much as a um, as a product. We actually made it for ourselves as a you know, like, oh, we're going to test this out because we wanted something that had some rye character, and at the time, our still was incapable of. Uh, uh, heating up the rye mash without burning. So uh, I got it to a point where we had enough rye in it where it wouldn't burn. It would still be perfect. So we made a high rye bourbon, but we couldn't make a Manhattan here. So our apple hooch, which, and I hate to connect it to stuff we're doing now, but we are. We're just bottling Why our first Why do you connect, connect it to? Because that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a big, that, people love that. I mean, the, the, oh, it's a, yeah, it's delicious. It's a runaway product. Yeah. I mean, if I could make it all year round, it would sell all year round at intense numbers. But again, we're sticklers for, well, we're not going to use just anything. We go to an orchard and we get those apples. They press it now for us. We used to get it from them. They didn't press it straight for us. Now they press it the same day that we get it. Um, so they just started pressing very low numbers. So we decided to go into uh, production on it. Um, so we're just starting off with the apple, but we'll make a Manhattan. And instead of using vermouth, which we're not allowed to use, um, vermouth is a, a product that a winery has to make. Right. Even though it has distilled You need to get one of these Pennsylvania, or one of these New Jersey wineries to create a vermouth. Uh, and I'm working on that. Okay. I'm actually working on that. Because um, you have to stay in New Jersey to be yeah, able to use New Jersey products. Yeah, but I still can't get their product and bring it here. You can't. No. All right. So, you know, this is, this is fascinating because yeah. this is part of the growth of different industries. Yes. So, in Pennsylvania, there is a distillery uh, winery that is producing a vermouth. And you can bring it in, yeah. and you can share it. And you can't have beer here. Cannot have beer, right. cannot so, have wine. Right. So in Pennsylvania, beer. you can have across the board as long as it's from the state. Right. Here, you're limited to what you can produce in this building. Exactly, and it has to be distilled spirits. Every product we make has to have a base of distilled spirits. That doesn't mean I can't mix it with wine. The problem with vermouth, though, is to hold the vermouth, it's a category that the state doesn't allow us to impede upon because it's classified. It's a wine. As a, well, it's actually its, a, its, its own a, category. Right. Oh, really? Um, it's its own category according to the FET. Okay. Uh, and uh, and it's on our reports. I just can't take advantage of it because New Jersey won't let me. Okay. The FED will, but New Jersey won't. So, look, like, I mean, like, New Jersey still seems to be a little bit behind, and maybe in some cases a lot behind, where other craft producers are able to work in, in a certain space. Yeah. Is, that, is that some of the things you face here? Yeah, the, and, and those are the, the challenges that every day that we have to. Because um, you're paying a lot of taxes out of the back of that building, right? Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. That's an interesting thing because when you look at the taxes, the state doesn't care. Because whether we're manufacturing it here or they're bringing in it from another state, the state still gets the taxes. So if I manufacture here, and I send out to Pennsylvania, the state of New Jersey doesn't get the excise taxes. The state of Pennsylvania does. Okay. So I know a lot of my distilling brothers and sisters think that that's a great argument, but it's not because the excise tax follows where you're distributing. So even if they brought in Tito's instead of our stuff, they still get the excise tax. So we're not 
we're, we're contributing to manufacturing through jobs and that kind of stuff, that's where the real tax dollars uh, become valuable. Um, and, you know, the offshoots, uh, how many uh, farms and orchards we use, um, and if they gear up towards uh, to us. I mean, the malt farmer that I was talking about down in uh, South Jersey, they were a third-generation potato farm that was basically going to go out of business. And the granddaughter and grandson said, why don't we try to do barley malt and try to sell it to the brewers? And they did, and, and it was pivotal for them. And now, you know, they're, they're good. whatever they uh, plant and cultivate, they're going to sell. And they're awesome people. And, you know, we think that's great. But we also feel like, hey, you know what? That's an industry that proliferated um, in a new age because of places like us, craft breweries. I, I love that you went to that place and explained and helped to pe- for people to understand. That, again, this goes back to, I mean, we're standing next to here. There's a sign that says Prohibition ends at last. And, and the day the prohibition started and how that devastated other industries, support industries, the Cooperages, yeah. the people that ran the wagons, I mean, the people that chewed the horses, I mean, the people that drove the trucks, it, it devastated all those industries overnight. Right. And here's what's happening. You're creating jobs. You're keeping Absolutely. a farm. You specifically at this distillery in North Jersey has helped to keeping a farm in business and now it's thriving. Yeah. And I'm sure now they're growing for other distilleries, maybe other, you know, breweries industries or breweries to find Right. Absolutely. That's huge to where I would say, so, you know, look, we can talk about and, and the impact of COVID and how that's impacted the distillery industry, the breweries and stuff like that, especially as you're telling me, hey, you can't have anybody in this space. You've been able to create an outside area for people to enjoy cocktails and you've got bottle sales and curbside pickup. But when you think about what industry would I want to support if, if I want to continue to build the economy, why wouldn't I want to look at the distillery industry, the brewery industry, and, and help them grow versus continuing to put handcuffs and shackles on them when you consider all the outside industries that grow and thrive? All you know, yeah. the, the rising tide lifts all boats. And and you're you're the captain of that boat. Captain John. <laughs> um, and especially during COVID, I mean you know, we felt it. I mean, as much as they closed uh, restaurants and bars uh, down, we're still primarily a manufacturer. So we were never closed. And we manufacture alcohol, which there's a lot of misunderstanding as to uh, why we didn't get closed down. And this, there's, there's simple facts around that. It's the same reason why with Prohibition, it was not illegal to drink. No, you just couldn't make it. Exactly. Because, and there was a lot of distilleries, well, not a lot. There were some distilleries that were allowed to produce for medicinal alcohol. Right. And everybody goes, yeah, That's what the doctor ordered. Yeah. <laughs> but what people don't realize is someone coming off of alcohol who may or may not even be at an addiction level might still be reliant and their body's reliant on it. Well, what your body does when you take that away can be far worse devastating than coming off of heroin, which that bad period might only last a few days. With alcohol, you know, there's a really good chance that if you don't come off of it with doctor's care, you will die. If you went cold turkey, you will probably die. That's just the way the body is. 
Um, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be that you're a drunk or anything. It just has to be that you know, your body built up this tolerance. And when you take it away, well, then it, it, it plummets. Well, Look, it's, COVID, like, it's like introducing caffeine and sugar yeah, exactly. and anything like that for your body's, you know, response to it. Right. If I, if I drink, you know, you know, cigarettes, if I'm so, it's all that. Yeah. So you're talking about removing something almost immediately yeah. for people gaining access yeah. to that. And, it and would just overwhelm the hospitals, right? But I think there's another part of it, and, and you're like, I love this conversation from a standpoint that you create thought, and it's not just what I'm ingesting. I think that especially here, because when we've been here, there's a there's a great social atmosphere in your in your cocktail room. There's a great social atmosphere from the people behind the bar that are serving to you know the people that are interacting. Some people have not been here before. And you get to talk to people at the bar. Yeah. It's, it's, that's one of the things we love. You know, Dawn and I, we had a great time. But what happened is COVID removed that social opportunity and that social atmosphere. It's like all you can see is your family stay inside. And that, as you talk about taking the chemical out of somebody's body, yeah. I think that has a lasting impact as well. Absolutely. Removing people from being able to be social. And that, uh, the social thing, that was interesting because we were never allowed to deliver uh, we're still fighting for that. All the other licenses got to be able to deliver. Well, it's one thing to have this stuff dumped on your thing, but we could only do curbside. And, you know, our customers have been great to us. They've come, helped, support, and all. But the one thing I found very interesting, you know, our, our we were very worried about our employees. So Sue and I said, okay, we'll be the ones bringing it out, even though it's completely contactless. But everybody wants to hang around and chat. Yeah. And it was... Very cool. And I can see why, because you're a great guy to talk to. I don't know about that, but thank you. <laughs> uh, but it was very cool, because it was like, well, this is good, because we also were starving for that um, element that we were missing. I mean, it's great. Everybody stayed. We didn't lay anyone off or anything, except for our part-time bar staff. Uh, but everybody was here. But, you know, we were, it was still coming to a place, seeing the same people. So as more and more different people were coming, or people we hadn't seen in a while because of the COVID, it was actually a life-saving thing for us because it just brought all our spirits up. And what that actually did for us, because, you know, we try to innovate all the time, is we actually came out with even more products. So the state said we couldn't do to-go cocktails. So I said, well, we have a distilling license. We're a manufacturer. The governor is saying it has to be an original package container. I'm like, I could put cocktails in an original package container. So we threw formulas into the TTB, got the labels approved. And before you knew it, we were doing little uh, 200 mil cocktails in a bottle, selling them. I could not get the bottles fast enough. That's a credit to the TTB. Yes. That they were that responsive to make sure that they got those approvals to you. They did. They took a little longer than I wanted, but they, in the grand scheme of I things. I think for you, yesterday was longer than you wanted. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, they, they've been, you know, the TTB and even the ABC have been great. That's not what bogged down the bogs down the uh, the abilities of this state, of, of a license holder in this state. What bogs it down are the legislators. Uh, in New Jersey, there's a lot of protectionism. Who can lobby the loudest? Well, craft distillers can't lobby that loud. But bars and restaurants can lobby and say that, oh no, if you let them do this, they're going to harm us. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, isn't that against free enterprise? But be that as it may, that's why we have these restrictive uh, policies and, and laws and statutes. They're because someone else lobbied very hard for them. 
to get them to protect something that may or may not have even needed protection in the first place. I mean, really? You're going to tell me that I can't have food here because I serve a single brand of alcohol and I'm going to somehow siphon off all the restaurants and bars uh, uh, um, clients right. to me but here's the because answer. I sell food? But here's the answer. You don't sell food, but you have the ability to bring food trucks in. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great. Even area. that becomes no. I mean, I know for New Jersey, over the last what year now or so, well, they don't want truck, food trucks right. at the distilleries and breweries either. Right. Because again, the thought is, well, if you're not coming to restaurants and drinking our cocktails, yeah. then you're taking away our business. And I and I look, I, I think you and I look. This is look. Yeah. Your Jersey, I grew up in South Jersey. Right. My attitude is, you know what? You come up with a good cocktail program. You you come up with a good food program, pairing program, whatever. What, beer, what, people are going to flock to you, and they're not going to stop going to you. Right. And but right now, I think what the the public is, and you see it, they want craft, they want something that's interesting, they want something that's creative, and it's 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 a testament. I mean, look, you said 60, 60 products. I mean, I, I get this vision like I'm walking into a bakery. And you didn't just specialize in cheesecake. You didn't just specialize in little cannolis. You got the whole array. I got butter cookies. I got pignoli. You got it all. You got the the oven's the distillery for you. The yeah. oven's the still. Absolutely. If your mind can comprehend it, you're putting it in. A, you're going to create it. But it's you're very detailed. You're thinking things through. You want to make sure no matter what comes out of the back where you're distilling. That if the public is going to consume it and enjoy it, you want to make sure it's perfect and right for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I get that sense of it. It has to meet our criteria. Where did the name Jersey Spirits come from? Uh, so, the best thing I can say with that is uh, we are not in any way ashamed of New Jersey. Okay. Uh, we love New Jersey. Um, I, I get ticked off at other states that think they know what Jersey is and they don't. And I have no problem telling them that they're wrong. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we're very proud of it. And we felt that opening up a local craft distillery had to exude local. Um, spirits, of course, is alcohol uh, and other things. But we felt Jersey Spirits did two things. Well, it kind of exemplified our name and what we do and where we do it. But also at the time, we were reeling from the whole Sandy effects. And just to see, um, you know, what was happening down the shore. And there's, there's two parts of things that were happening. But just to see people coming together and helping other people out, that was that Jersey Spirit thing that was just going on kind of, national news at the time and we feel that always goes on you know there's something there's something different about people from new jersey you know they really embrace anyone i know they feel like every new jerseyans embrace it all and it's not that we're just we're guarded you know we're guarded we're protective um but the one across the country the one group of people you can always count on and I'm an entrepreneur and I've always had businesses 
you could always count on to root for you is someone from New Jersey. Okay. And they will make sure you succeed because it's not only making you succeed, you can see that they feel they're part of it. And that's where Jersey Spirits comes from. So I think that really does define everything that comes out of your distillery. Well, we try I really to exemplify do. that too. I really do. I think you embrace the name. I think I think it really comes through. Yeah. So we have an array of things here to try. What do you want to try first? And 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 give us a sense and take us through what it is that you know your vision was for it and okay. what you were looking for. So we have just four of our products here. Two of these were introduced during COVID. Um, they weren't necessarily developed during COVID, but they were introduced during COVID. And that is our uh, our first uh, wide released single malt whiskey, which is a cherry wood smoked single malt whiskey. Uh, all of our products have uh, something New Jersey in it. That's Wildwood's cherry wood smoked single malt whiskey. Yep. And so you're taking the wood from the boardwalk? Is yeah. that where the wood's coming from? No, we're not, we're not that authentic <laughs> with it. Uh, but it is coming. Uh, the wood was from fruit trees, uh, in this case, cherry wood from farms that we use to, to smoke the uh, barley wool. Um, so the barrels are still oak barrels. They're used oak barrels from our bourbon. Uh, this particular one was our crossroads. Um, but, you know, we felt, uh, again, Wildwoods fit with this because typically a scotch, which is your typical single malt, is used is uh, smoked with peated, uh, peat. Um, I don't mind peat. I don't like a lot of heavy peat. It gets a little medicinal to me after a while. I think that's what some people really like about it. But I do like the smoky characteristics. So we wanted to go and use fruit woods. And that's where we thought the wild woods kind of has that double meaning. And, of course, who doesn't like wildwood uh, from New Jersey, right? Um, it's an interesting place. And we felt it would make a, a fairly decent label. And, of course, you know, it's got that, uh, that location where people can kind of get their arms around uh, Something similar we did with our Barnegat White Whiskey, which we have the white maple here to try, uh, is we use the Barnegat Lighthouse. Uh, Susan's a big fan of lighthouses. I love them, too. Uh, this is the first ones I had my kids climb when they were little tots. Uh, it's also the, uh, the most majestic and largest one on the eastern seaboard. So we felt, uh, again, along with the product, uh, the white uh, whiskey, naming it Barnegat White Whiskey, it's a bold, raw whiskey without aging, um, but it's also got some sort of magistry to it. This is where your production side of things comes in, Probably. your creative vision, because it's not just, you could have named it anything. Absolutely. You, you could have called it anything, but if you even look at the label, everything's a story there. Yeah. So it's almost like the, the, the label's going to be that, that curtain or, or the opening credits. Waiting for when it gets poured, and then it kind of it envelops you into the whole feeling of what you're going to enjoy. Well, that was my my uh, industry since the eighties. Okay, but no, <laughs> I don't I, want to date myself. But you know, but, I mean, but you really take yeah. your experiences. I mean, yeah. some people take what they've done previously and they leave it behind. Yeah, but you've taken your skills and your abilities, and you've adopted them, and you've adapted them into what you're doing here. Absolutely. So when I say I could. I, I, Hey, John, give me your single malt. Well, that's not what I want. Right. I want that wildwood feeling and, you know, yeah. watch the tram car and 
you know, traipsing four miles from the boardwalk just to get to the water. Yeah. I mean, I want all that. Yeah. You know, and I want the craziness of, of hearing, you know, people play the games. Yeah. That sounds like what it's going to be coming out of the bottle. Just a lot of fun. A yeah. lot of just, I'm going to try that and that's going to be great. And, and Barnegat, the white maple, I mean, Barnegat to me is like you, you take the lighthouse, but it's calm. It's 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 just but you've got the ocean there and what does the what does the lighthouse do? It protects ships from from the rockiness of, of the seas. Yeah, that could be my whole perception, but now I've created an old ex, my own experience oh, through yeah. through what I see. And I every, love that everybody you know, who the people who can connect with Long Beach Island just immediately identify with, and and that's awesome. You know, and it, it is all about the story because you know everything has a story and. It's not a made-up story. This is these connections are real. Even the artists who do uh, the different labels, we give them the concept of what we want, They're and they run with it. Artists, they run, and with, they it. run with it, and they, you know, it's a back and forth collaboration. But um, you know, we're looking for something specific. You know, uh, the peanut butter and jelly. You know? I'm like, I'm salivating. I saw that on your website. I'm just, what the heck is that? So I have to show you another bottle. Let me just grab it. Okay. And I know you probably know this bottle. All right, so you brought out a bottle of Jersey Bug Juice Hooch. Yeah. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm picturing into the Pinelands. Yep, yep, exactly. And, you know, just whatever's in the water. <laughs> well, well, let me let me give you a little bit. Yeah, because you're not going to know this. So these stories are a lot. They're connected to us. Okay. Uh, even Barnegat, you know, we used to vacation in Long Beach Island. Like I said, this is the first lighthouse my kids climbed. Wildwoods, I've taken my kids down there. I spent a lot of time there when I was young. Um of course, everywhere on the Jersey Shore. Now, uh, this is more on the Sioux side. So, Sioux has a very large group of friends that do an annual camping and canoeing trip in the Pinelands on the Wading River um, every year. And, you know, it's a state park. You really can't drink in a state park. And Sue doesn't love beer. Uh... And, you know, she likes wine, but maybe not while she's canoeing. So she would make something that they would call bug juice. Of course, everybody knows bug juice from can. Uh, and she would put in a little cup. And, and the bug juice was, was, was right. <laughs> when we first started the, the distillery. It was, said, was it Kool-Aid and uh, vodka yeah, or Everclear I, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, and I think she used, uh, oh, what is it, uh, Crystal Light? Okay. And peach knots. Yeah, because she wanted to keep the calories down. Right, So exactly. she went to the Crystal Light. Exactly. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I just have a problem with all those chemical flavors. And I'm like, yeah, we're not making bug juice that way. I said, but we will make a bug juice. But the first time we said we had to come up with a name for this brand of those fun things that are a little bit sweet. And before, when we met, before we uh, started the distillery, we used to make an apple pie hooch. Uh, and we even made a pumpkin hooch. What's the term hooch come in? What, what, what is that? What's we the did, hooch? We were not in love with the word moonshine. Okay. Um, I think it's an overused word. Gotcha. It's a misused word. Okay. People use it as a product. I mean, people come in here all the time. You got any moonshine? It's like, well, no, because I have a, a license. So technically I'm yeah, not a moonshine. You're not a bootlegger. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we never loved. And I thought it was overused. Gotcha. So you, when you, we started. You, that's where hooch comes in. Uh, I like yeah, that. And that's Jersey too. Hooch yeah. is more Jersey anyway. Well, also, so... At the time, I wanted to call something Moonshine because we were just getting into it. I didn't even have a license yet. I happened to be at a, a trade show that the TTB was at. So I approached them, and I got a lot of questions for them, you know. And she's sizing me up. You know, I'm going through stuff and all. And I said, so, you know, I want to make uh, an apple pie hooch at the time. 
I'm sorry, an apple pie moonshine. And she goes, oh, you're going to be making moonshine, huh? I said, yeah. She goes, uh, what's your name? And I gave her my name. She goes, so you're opening in New Jersey? What's the name of it? And she goes, you got your licenses in? And I go, yeah, I see what you're doing. She goes, we don't like that term. And I moonshine. Said, yeah, but I said, but there's a ton of products on the shelves like it. She goes, that's another story, but we just don't like that term. Hey, all right. We came out of that conversation with, you know what? I actually never liked the term to begin with either. I like what it means, you know, uh, the story behind it, the real story behind it, but not as a product. So we decided, what are we going to name it? And we were had a whole bunch of things. But Jersey Hooch was one that we really liked. And uh, at that point, we just went with that. And, uh, so this bug juice was, I'm sure, a big hit? It this was a big hit, but it took hit? me two years to get it to where I wanted it. Okay. So it was not out until, uh, so we opened in 2015. It wasn't out until 2017. And we always had it in our stuff, like it's coming, and I'd have people coming all Again, this is one of your cocktails. I mean, it's a bottle cocktail, essentially. It is, It's yeah, a ready-to-drink yeah. cocktail. Yeah, but I'll tell you, you can mix this with Prosecco. Uh, we end up calling it Forgotten Sundays, because every time we do that, we drink it on a Sunday at our friend's pool. We forget about the Sunday okay. the next morning. <laughs> so... Uh, we remember going there. Um, no, and, 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 you know, I had to find the right blend of things. And interestingly enough, I had to actually make it to not taste good without alcohol because that's what I was finding was the problem. We get something to taste awesome. Then you added the alcohol, and it actually tasted completely different. Okay. So the, the, when I finally figured out what it was, you know, I had all my samples ready, and I have Sue come, and I go, okay, so taste this. And she tasted it, and she goes, oh. No, it's not right. And I said, okay, taste this. And she goes, oh, my God, that's really good. She goes, what did you do different? I said, I added the alcohol. And she goes, but why doesn't the other one taste good? I said, because I made it not taste good without the alcohol. Okay. Because every time we made it taste good and added the alcohol, it wouldn't taste good anymore. So that's how we finally. Again, this is like you're, you're a tinkerer. Oh, yeah. I mean, you really, again, two years. Somebody would have said. After the first couple of hours, I can't get this right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm scrapping this. I got, I got vodka. I got gin. I got whiskey. That's what I'm going to focus on, and that's what I'm going to do well. So my production background taught me, and I was a content developer, was I have to create something before I actually create it. So every time I went in to do a project, whether it was even a corporate project or something for television and film, before I even could pitch it, I could envision the entire thing done in my head. And once we got the money to do that production, it was just a matter of getting it out of my head and into the physical world. That's the same thing we do here. I envision the way I want something to taste. And it's not just me. There's a whole support staff. But once I envision what I want it to taste like, well, then we experiment and figure a way to get that out of my head and into a box. All right. So where are we starting? Let's 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 do so that. Let's, pro- let's do with, that process uh, right now. Let's save uh, these two for last. Okay. So we'll start off with the uh, Barnegat White Maple, and this is uh, I don't know how much you want. Um, Dawn and I'll share. But so again, okay, now so, now you've already set the stage. Yeah. You have an end in mind. Talk about your end in mind. Oh, well, this, okay, so this takes a little detour. Okay, so we love um, maple with uh, maple bourbons. Um, so this 
I had a white whiskey. Don't when we shaking first your came head. Out. Yes. <laughs> so I had a white whiskey when we first came out. Uh, it was our second product. We had bourbon in a barrel coming out, and we wanted to try to make maple bourbon. And I'm like, all right, I got two little barrels of bourbon, and we lost a lot over the six or eight months, whatever it was. That was our first bourbon that was starting. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to use a lot of liquor to kind of test around. So I'll use the white whiskey. In my head, I'll be able to build the gaps so that I can get to the point where I'll start testing it with bourbon. So I started working with the white whiskey and maple syrup. And um, as we evolved into this, we found a New Jersey uh, producer who gets it. It's all from New Jersey, and he cooks it a certain way for us. But we got it to taste a certain way, and as I was doing it, I always bring it up front and let people taste stuff. And they helped with, oh, it's too sweet, it's this, it's that. And as we refined that, and I got the formula kind of where I wanted, and I was about to go into bourbon, people were like, I really like that, I want to buy a bottle. I go, well, it's not done, and it's not for sale. And they said, well, if you have that, I'll buy it. <laughs> all right. I got some syrup left. I got a little white whiskey left before that didn't go into the barrel. So uh, I'll make a few bottles up. So I think I made 30 or 40 bottles. And people tried it. And I'm back there working with bourbon now, trying to get it. And before I knew it, I was told, like, uh, we're out of that white, that maple stuff. Can we get Do more bottles? Where are they? I'm like, wait a minute. I said, you're out of it. How did you be out of it? I said, I made like 40 bottles. You don't know where you're looking. So I went with couldn't find it. And sure enough, I looked at our uh, our, our stock inventory and it was gone. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. So, we made a larger batch. like 200, 250 bottles. Before you knew it, that was gone. And, what really intrigued me was, our outside uh, stores were buying it. In much bigger numbers than I expected. Because they tasted it. And they wanted it for their shelves. And before you knew it, it just was a runaway thing. So this was really a stopgap to to getting the bourbon. Yeah. And it's a corn whiskey. And I, and I, no, it's not a corn whiskey. It's not whiskey. a corn whiskey. This is a bourbon this match. Is, this is a bourbon match. So this is identical match for our Crossroads whiskey. So without it giving away the secrets? Well, there's no, there's no secret to the recipe. Okay. The secret is in the process. Gotcha. Because um, no one could take what I give them right now and make the same thing. Uh, and it's not unconventional from other bourbons. Uh, so this particular bourbon mash is 63% corn, right? 15% rye, 15% wheat, and uh, what is that? Uh, 7% barley. Barley malt. Uh, no, I mean, I, I can tell you, I mean, it's you, you get on the nose, you do get that corn, but it's a nice sweet corn, a nice fruity corn. I really enjoy that. Yeah. I almost get some, 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 there's something there. I'll find it. Well, you, you do get the earthiness of the wheat, which you won't get after barrel aging. Uh, that earthiness of the wheat actually changes from a flavor to a texture. Uh, and that's what the wheat's in there for the bourbon. But uh, here, you get the full-blown... In fact, our white whiskey people equate to a tequila-style flavor, which it does have a lot of similarities of a raw tequila. It has that sweetness, that earthiness, and that little spiciness. I'm still trying to find what, what's on the nose there. And and the flavor, it, it's it, it's not overwhelmingly heavy on the alcohol. So what proof is that? This is 80 proof. 80 proof. The wheat kind of really softens everything up. That's delicious, right? 
Isn't that awesome? There's there's a graininess. Yep. It's, there's a graininess, not not grain like corn grain, but almost like there's a texture to the the, the mouth feel to that, uh, which I think ling- coming from the weed of the rye. Yeah, I mean, but that lingers, yeah. and it's really pleasant because what that does is it helps everything sit in in your mouth and just as you breathe and everything else, it, it, it there's a whole new experience with that. Yeah. That's delicious. I can um, see why they're asking and everybody's asking you to make more. Yeah, I'm amazed at how much it sells because it was never, you know, a focused product. And that I credit our customers for helping move in that direction because it wasn't what I envisioned. What what came out of this bottle is not a full vision of what I've envisioned. What I do get on this, as, as, as I, I, it's, it's got a little peachiness to the nose, and, and the honeyness, like a sweet honey, like almost like like a, a clover or um, a, a wildflower nose to it. That's great. I mean, kudos to you guys. I'm going to let you try something else. So you brought out your Crossroads Maple Whiskey, and we're going to do that side by side to the barn again. Now, yeah. now, so you again, you started with an end in mind, and yes. this is what this is what you were initially really shooting for, right? This is what I initially was shooting for. And this took another year and a half after we refined this. This has more of a whiskey character to the nose. That's what I get from it. And I'll tell you why. This, the white whiskey went in the barrel for maybe 10 minutes. This, instead of proofing down the whiskey from still strength with water to barrel strength, I decided to go at it a little differently. And that was I decided to proof it down with syrup. So we went from its proof strength of, I don't really get exactly what that is, but it's at least 20 proof above what we proof it down to. And we uh, use syrup instead of water to bring that proof down. And then we barrel them together. So the whiskey and the syrup together age. They're moving in and out of the wood. They're they're compounding differently with the alcohol and the conigers and and, and the elements uh, that are coming out of the wood. They're that the alcohol is pulling out of the wood and extracting. So it's it's actually doing uh, some similar things that a whiskey would do, but some not so similar things. And we technically, although we can call it whiskey, it is technically, if you knew how to read the labels, you would see it is not actually a whiskey. What do you actually... A whiskey can't have any additives to right. it. It isn't even a flavored whiskey because there was syrup involved in the barrel aging. So right. it's under what's called a distilled specialty spirit. And it actually goes by spirits distilled from grain mash with natural flavor added. Natural flavor is not chemicals. It's actually syrup. That's it. That's all we add to it. Again, this is... So, John, when you started with the end in mind, what was it like for you to go through that process as you talk about? And it actually successfully achieve what you were shooting for. What was that like for you? Uh, I mean, because you got all this stuff going on. And and to me, you know, we all have the things we do in life. And when you hit that, you know, I don't know where you align for your baseball. Um, you know, North Jersey, maybe you're Yankees, maybe you're a Mets fan. I don't know. Yeah, Yankees. All right. But, all right, so... Was, what was your Reggie Jackson moment or your Babe Ruth? You know, when, you, when you go, bam, I, I saw the curveball, I waited on it, and there it is. So the, the Barnegaway Maple was like, wow, people are going to buy it. That's awesome. Uh, I didn't dislike it. It just wasn't what I was aligned with. But it makes some interesting drinks. One of my daughters loves it. 
Um, and I was like, you know. And the other one you got rid of because she doesn't love it. So that's yeah. it. She's out of here. <laughs> but the success always is, and maybe this is from my TV days, the success is, well, will customers want it? And will they keep asking for it if we take it away? Uh, we tried to take products away. And I still have a product that I finally did take away that I still have people come and ask Which is? For, our DSP-7 Honey Gin. And uh, it's good. It's it's. There's nothing wrong I've had about that. it. it. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's more difficult to make. And it, uh, I couldn't charge more for what the additional time ingredients were. Plus, you have to when remember, I mean, and here's a question, and I don't get too far off topic because there's a couple more bottles here I want to try and introduce to the public, but... You know, COVID, is that affecting costs for bottles, for labels, for raw products, for grains, for honey, for... I mean, how is that affecting you? It's affecting And us. accessibility, too. Yeah. You it's, know. it's affecting us. Um, we actually had to raise a little bit of our retail price the first time in five years. And it was before COVID, it was starting to affect us. But COVID really uh, affected a lot of our costs. And we absorbed as much as we could. Um, and, and it was really the breaking point of absorbing the initial five years of, you know, our bottles have steadily gone up, our corks have steadily gone up, uh, all of our packaging costs have gone up. Uh, sometimes raw materials come down, well, but they're uh, commodities. You, you, can now, you can now buy bottles in more of a quantity. Yeah, Does it doesn't help buy, I mean, or, or, or I, I would have to buy it literally in a container. Okay. And I and you had to need a place to store that and you everything get a, else. You get an awesome price on them. Yeah. I mean, awesome. You're shaving, you know, at most, $0.25 cents off a bottle, which is a lot. But if I have to store that somewhere... Yep, it's going to cost it's money. It's going to cost me more money. Yeah. So, and also, COVID, shipping fees went up dramatically. I mean, we had a whole situation with bottles because our bottles come from Italy. Uh, well, with COVID, Italy shut down. And there was a lot of, not only problems with workers, but also... They didn't have any containers to ship stuff out because nothing was coming into Italy. And then once it gets months. once it gets somewhere, you got to have somebody that receives it, right? Yep. So now we almost ran out of bottles. We were actually holding things in tanks and just bottling as we needed, which we never do. Um, and uh, or I shouldn't say we never do. We used to do a long time ago, but now we've you know worked our cycles. Um, but we because we were waiting for a pallet to come and it was late. And now we actually had to have two pallets shipped from across the country, which cost us twice as much to ship, on top of the bottles having gone up more money. Yeah, I mean, so. as a business owner, this is, the, this is the stuff that you did not anticipate, but you have to be flexible yeah. to work through the process, right? Well, yeah, and, and it's also, well, what do you do? I mean, yeah, we could change the price of our bottles. We can go with a different bottle. We can go with a cheap you know, not manufactured in Italy. But this is your brand again. I mean, the bottle becomes your brand. It becomes that's what people brand. identify with when they see it. If they're, if they're buying in a retail store, yeah. they see it on the shelf. Oh, that's Jersey Spirits. Okay, yeah. I know that bottle. I know that brand. I know that label. That's exactly what I want. Or that may catch some people's eye yep. because of the way it's packaged. Exactly. So talk about packaging. Which one do you want to go for? The Wildwoods or the Jersey Hooch? Which one should we do next? <laughs> so uh, the Jersey Hooch with, with that is. So this, again, is campsite that we canoe at every right. year. This, I had my daughter, because it was a PB&J sandwich, I said, okay, draw that in crayon like a, you know, 
not a same picture. Just kid. draw this from yeah. yes, from what well, it is. Like you know, a grade school kid would do. Tell you what, that's not you're not getting that quality from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just I, I actually took that and put it. Uh, Onto a, uh, a textured paper bag kind of background. Gotcha. Yeah. She didn't draw it on the paper bag. She just drew it on white. Um, so, uh, but you know that that packaging. And so he's you're always going to have our identifiable JS uh, JS uh, and and logo there, and of course stuff and a picture that's drawn by an artist that has something to do with New Jersey. Um, and of course, the, when we found the bottle, you know, it's thousands of bottles to choose from. And this was another thing where Sue and I were like, oh my god, we got to pick out a bottle. But when we were at a show and saw this, uh, I said to the guy, I'm like, I love that bottle. He goes, it just came out. I go, that's awesome. That's our bottle. And I'm like, what's the name of it? He goes, Outlaw. And I go, perfect. That bottle's called Outlaw? Yeah. They said, named a bottle perfect. Outlaw? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I said, yeah, it's, this is just a calling, right? <laughs> so we decided, and we found out they had a 375 of it. Okay. And we decided we're going to go across the line they, uh, believe it or not, the owner of the company was coming to the U.S. And he had heard that we were using his bottle for all of our product. Right. And he requested to come visit us. Nice. And we had this Italian gentleman who spoke no English whatsoever. Coming here, and although I'm very Italian, I don't speak a lot of Italian, I can understand a decent amount. But it was funny. But we had to interpret. But again, I mean, think of the think of the journey for you. I mean, this is why you know Dawn and I it became fermented adventure because we get the whole story. It becomes things we never would have known. You know, learning about you and the growth and development of your distillery and the family as it comes together. You know, the, the, the idea that somebody from Italy is going to be providing your bottles doesn't speak a word of English, and uh, you know, you have that experience. Yeah. That's just what that, that's a gift of life that you can treasure and hold on to yeah. that you would never have as as a life experience had you just never taken that first step, right? Right. All right. So pour some Jersey PB and J sandwich. Um, I'm, I'm just so curious. We we, we, we even have to it's sealed up and so this hermetically is, uh, sealed. This was inspired by the meadery. Uh, Sergio and I have collaborated on a few things. Which uh, metery inspired you? It's uh, Melovino. Melovino. Union. Yes. Okay. Um, he makes a PB&J sandwich meat. It's very good. And he said one day, he said, you should make a, a hooch out of that. That would be a good hooch. And I'm like, all right, let me try that. I'm just going to taste this first because there's something weird with that. That's fine. <laughs> it's, it's a way of it, it, You know what? I think the way they packaged that. it. Okay. So it literally, you get peanuts, and you get the the peanut and the sweetness on the nose right away. Wow! I like I want to savor this forever. Do you want your own? This is you know it's only about forty proof. So, uh, so how we make this is uh, I actually soak peanut butter stock peanuts. Uh, in uh, our grain neutral spirits that we make out of corn. Then we also cook peanuts in water because we need, that's that's 190 proof and it does not lose any proof. So we still need to bring that down and then we do a fresh pressing of Concord grapes which becomes the jelly and uh, we, we wanted it to have, we just didn't want it to taste like peanut butter and jelly 
We actually wanted it to taste like a sandwich. And that's... You, you, you've hit it out of the park with this. I mean, again, um, so, so to experience this, you really need to find a way to come to Jersey Spirits and try all these things. I mean, one of the things is we live two hours away from here. You need to find a way to be closer because we can't try all 60 different varieties of things and then your special releases and... But again, we are in two hundred liquor stores. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to belabor the point. But the end in mind, when I literally feel like I'm going back to my childhood, and I can feel the. I, I'm enjoying a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But to the point that this is a corn-based spirit, right? Uh, yes. You still get a little bit of that corn flavor to this? I, I can still well, sense it. It's there. Maybe. Uh, so what's in there, and this is where Sergio and I kind of work together with some ideas. Um, so what's in there is uh, Belgian candy syrup. Okay. Which is a, is a, is there any corn sweetener in there? Or? It's not corn. Uh, it's actually made from sugar beets. But it has an interesting, because that's giving you that little bread flavor. Exactly. That's where the bread Thank you. From. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> Because we were looking for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay. Because I'm, I'm thinking it's a corn, but it's not. It's the bread. It's the bread. Oh, my God. And there's no wheat in it. Ugh. But I had yeah. to figure out what, because we wanted it to taste like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, it does. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, and that's the only sweet. Seriously, you're in a TV background, right? Yeah. When are you going to do, you know... The John reality show of, of I, all this stuff. You I really spent should enough time in reality. You need it. You need it. You need a TV I, I crew worked, following you around. I worked on the uh, you know yelling at people, show. throwing stuff at people. Yeah, you know, I, get out of my still. Yeah, get out of there. Some of my employees might say I do that, but okay. I don't. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, I'm better behind the camera than in front of the camera. Okay. <laughs> um, much right, we, better we, behind we, the camera. I, I, I hope. And I really appreciate people sticking with the um, with the podcast. Um, but let's try one more, yeah, and then see. we'll talk a little bit about you know. All right, COVID's here. You got the outside tent. Um, everything going on right now. What what can people expect when New Jersey starts to release the you know starts to get rid of the restrictions when they come to here? What can they expect when they come to Jersey Spirits here? Well. I hope they can continue to expect the innovation that, first of all, we had before COVID, but even the, the even larger risks that we're taking uh, because of COVID um, in terms of uh, innovating product. Uh, we're working on an absinthe right now. We should have an aged grappa. We've done a double barrel single malt now. So we're really trying to... Uh, so are you using your bourbon barrels for that? Or well, what kind of barrels are you using? Actually, they've gone for? out. Uh, they were our bourbon barrels originally. Right. And then they've gone out to... Uh, that, those particular ones went out to elementary brewing. And when they came back, we finished our single malt in it that was sitting. So uh, they have some interesting things. That'll probably be our fourth uh, double barrel uh, that we'll be releasing. So uh, we did one in wine barrels, two other ones in beer barrels as bourbons. This will be the first single malt though. So we're pretty excited about that. So what people can expect is you're not going to stop innovating. No. You're not going to stop taking what are your great ideas 
and, and, and making them reality and try to entertain and delight your customers. Yeah, and right? more, more cocktails. I mean, we added a frozen drink machine because of COVID, and um, you know we've gotten very innovative with that. We even did a mudslide with the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We call it a tsunami. I mean, when I tell you, it just sells right out. Uh, I'm amazed at it. So, uh, and uh, any of the ones that we've been doing, uh, they've been very uh, well received, and we want to continue that. We're also opening an extension of the brand up in Brooklyn. Um, and uh, you're going to be an industry city. We're going to be an industry city. Everybody's going to industry city. Uh, they, it's if you haven't been to industry city, you got a sake oh, brewery yeah. there. Yeah. Um, the ginger. You got the ginger place. Um, Big Alice is there. Yeah, Big Alice is a great brewery. Um, and who else is moving up there? Yeah, just there's a couple. Um, uh, I'm gonna screw it up. I think Chiffon, uh, their uh, uh, sparkling cider place, or yeah, something like that. Sparkling cider. Yeah, Industry City. If if those people aren't familiar, or even in around Brooklyn, you haven't found it. It's a great place. Yeah. Great place on the weekends, and a lot of innovative, uh, you know, craft is going in there. It's a, right. it's a really great experience. So we'll have a. A tasting room and a, and a small distillery there that'll make everything for that location. Uh, a little outdoor uh, balcony we'll have, um, and uh, we should have been open by now. But of course, COVID got in the way, and everybody, you know, I, I hate to say it, but everybody expects another shutdown uh, with a second wave. And in lieu of that, we decided that everybody will open by spring of 2020. Well, here's what's going to happen, John. If if that second wave happens, I know I'm going to hoard some stuff here. <laughs> and at least I'll be happy shut in. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you poured some hot manic. So yes. talk about hot manic. So, uh, Experimental you know, hot manic. Yep. So you got the hops front and center on the label. It almost looks like you're putting it up on a pedestal down a, grove of, a row of trees. So uh, the reason it's like that is, well, we took our grain neutral spirits. And we do a vapor infusion, a lot like we do our gins. Right. But the only thing we use is a single varietal of hops. And which hops are you using, you're allowed to say? Well, it's uh, oh God, I gotta, it's Somebody's a number. <laughs> it's actually not a... This experimental one is uh, HS, HBS 438. And those are the hops. Yeah. It is not a commercially available brewing hop. It's actually only uh, available by in small quantities. So, so if you're a home brewer, this is what you might have access to. Yeah, it's okay. just it's a hop that hasn't been named yet and right. non-commercial. Um, we liked uh, the flavor spectrum that this gives you. It has like a decaying kind of changing flavor as it finishes. Um, it's the most complex of our three or four hop manics that we have. This is the most complex. This is the one I like the best. Um, you know, it makes so there's really more than great. just one hot manic. Yeah, so we have a citra you've, hot manic. You've released a series of this. Yeah. So if you're if you're a beer person, and you like the hoppiness, again, this is where you're experiencing a genre or or a sector for other people to come and enjoy. If I love hops, if I'm yeah. an IPA person, yeah. you got something for me. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and three of them. Uh, four actually. Four actually. Uh, okay. And you can um, you can actually make beer cocktails out of these. They're really good that way. Or we'll do them like as a mule. Or uh, I know a lot of our customers just get it on ice or as a martini. So uh, and oh, I also do this one with uh, uh, passion fruit. Shake it up. We call it a juice bomb. It is like tropical fruits off the charts because the two just work. Yeah, because you're creating that like juicy yeah. oh, IPA kind of a feeling in your yeah. mouth, right? 
Yeah. That's awesome. And we do another one with our Citra. We call it, uh, I forget, it's, it's a guava bomb or something. And we do it with uh, guava juice and the Citra. But we make meals out of them, Collins, they make good Collins. Anything with lime or tropical fruit actually really escalates the flavor. You know, you talked about this in, in the process of the same that you would go through for a gin, right? And I get that same, I, I could say whatever I would do with a gin, I could make a cocktail oh, like a gin out of. Absolutely. This, this is very similar to that. Yes. Just Just the way it, it, you experience it, sipping it. Yeah. On, it, you know, well, there's no juniper. No, no. But, you know, but the hops becomes the juniper. Yeah. The hops become and whatever botanical, whatever yeah. anything else you're putting in there. The hops do have a lot of pine flavors to them. Um, not not from the resins though, just from like the pine resins, but from the hop resins. Um, and we just like doing it because you know uh, a lot of people who come to craft stories are frequent craft brewery people, and. Uh, they're not the same industry by any stretch, but they are connected through the fermentations. You know, we still make a distiller's beer or distiller's right, you gotta wine. Make, yep, you got to do that first. That's the, that's the first primary uh, step of making alcohol. Uh, from there, we just go a lot further steps with it to then extract just the alcohol and leave a lot of the other stuff. When you decided to leave your career um, in the production side of things, and you obviously have envisioned the end in mind, although this isn't the end. No. Have you achieved or have you exceeded what you expected to achieve? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I would have to say I, I probably am not ready to answer that. And out of that, it would probably be that I haven't achieved everything I've done. So, we have a much bigger scope in mind. You're content, but you're not satisfied. Yeah, I mean, Brooklyn, though, is a step for something else in the distilling, the craft distilling world. Um, and it's... We'll see if it comes to the full fruition. So, we're, we're, not, we're not resting just yet. I, I would say we're not. Well, know. with all that you're producing back there, I can't see whenever you're. I don't know if you sleep um, <laughs> or you have a cot in the back. You haven't shown me the back where the I, cot is. I have a good support staff. Good. No, I mean, because, uh, you know, I, I'm imagining um, you coming back in the front door and everybody's there bottling and stuff. And you, the first thing out of your mouth is, I got an idea. And they're running for the hills. <laughs> they're like, oh, no, not another no, idea. You know what? Um, the people that I have around me. I think are, are very much in the same mindset as I am. And that is a new idea is so inspirational. Who cares if it works or not? Not every idea works. It doesn't. You know, it I mean, I've had stuff that we, we've tried. It's like, oh my God, yeah, that's, we're not doing that. Well, I think you did a pumpkin something or other. Yeah, that's a good one. I know it pumpkin, is. Pumpkin, oh yeah. Yeah, I know it is. Uh, but there, I mean, now uh, it's all so, coming back to me. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there's even some other things. Uh, there, there, there's, there was one other product that we did that just didn't have the, the shelf life we wanted it to have. It did not have a bad shelf life. It just didn't have the shelf life we wanted it to have. And although it's great, we'll still have that type of similar drink. We're just not going to put it in a bottle. Okay. And uh, even the cocktails, like, you know, um, the bottled cocktails are, you know, we're just, what are we, only a few months into COVID. So I haven't had anything that went a year. 
I don't know how they're going to be. They seem to be all right and stable, but these are lower alcohol things, and we just worry about it. Like, we refrigerate them after we bottle them, and when we sell them to people or we yeah, sell when them they out, pick them we up, tell you say, them hey, refrigerate them. Even yeah. if it's in a liquor store. And uh, the liquor stores are great. They're like, yeah, we're, we're selling them, and we're keeping them refrigerated. It's fine. And uh, we actually take them home. Uh, I shouldn't say take them home. I should say we buy them and pay all the taxes <laughs> and bring them to our house because we're going to ultimately drink them. But we'll leave them out for weeks at a time. Just to, ex- just look, to see it's if all, they're it's stable. All, it's all product development. That's yeah, what you're doing. Because, you know, we're not using chemicals. So, you know, it's not just sugar, alcohol, and chemicals. You know, if we say it's uh, lemon in there, well, there's fresh lemon juice right. in there. If we say we're using... Uh, I forget what else we use. Oh, pomegranate juice. Well, that's fresh pomegranate juice. And pomegranate juice and orange juice, if we use that kind of stuff. But even if you fresh squeezed it, it has a shelf life of something. Well, the alcohol helps it, and the sugar should help it, too, along with the alcohol. But it's like there's nowhere you could, like, look it up. Even the FDA doesn't even tell you what the shelf right. life is. Right. No, there's no guideline yeah. for that. So we have to make sure it endures. I mean, the one thing about the apple and the pumpkin is, you know, when we first made those and everything that we made, we let them sit at least a year, and then we open them. But we'll usually do a whole case, and we'll open one up every year. All right, good. We don't have to recall anything. That's awesome. Second year, we'll pull another one out, taste it. Okay, great. The apple and the pumpkin. Apple, 2015. Pumpkin, 2016. So, what's that? Four and five years, respectively. Uh, they're both almost exactly the way they were when we made them, which is good. That is good. So, people need to come to Jersey Spirits. Absolutely. They and you need, can come during COVID. Right. And, and look, you got 60 things to try right now. So, pace yourself as we've done today. But how do people find you? Uh, Instagram, Facebook. Jersey Spirits. Um, yep. Okay, uh, and you're on lo- Google. All right, you're located in an industrial center. We are. Be patient. <laughs> you have to really look for you. Right now, there's a tent outside. There is. I, I know we, we've been here before. We just still drove around trying to find you again. If you use our name rather than our address, it seems to go with the correct And the uh, address navigation. is? The address, the address is 1275 Bloomfield Ave, okay. Building 7, Unit 40B, Fairfield, gotcha. New Jersey. But if you just put in Jersey Spirits Distilling Company, it will take you that the, gets best, you better. the best uh, location. I can tell you, as I asked you the question, look, this is a, I was excited to get here. And this has exceeded my expectations. That's awesome. Finally getting a chance to sit down and speak with you. And, and learn your story. I, I think I, I joked about it. We could do a three or four hour podcast to start, but then you're like, no, we got open. Get the heck out. But literally, I love the fact, I, I, I love your creativity, John. Thank you. I love your passion. I love your commitment to what you're doing. I love what you're doing for the community here and, and how you're really raising an awareness of not just where you live in the city, but the craft distilling industry what you're doing to help the craft distilling industry and and this is a blessing so this we, we're so grateful I, I your, your family I mean I know we met your daughter before um, she's, she's made some great cocktails and you, you've got some amazing cocktails that come out of your your, your, your program but this has been a treat and this is only the beginning we look forward to keeping in touch with you and and, and seeing all the great things you guys are doing but but thank you so much for spending some time with us oh uh, you're welcome thank you and 
that is what we try to bring to every customer that walks in the door. Yep. We try to exceed their expectations. You're doing it. You're doing it. So thank you. Thank you.